0: Welcome to an audiobook recitation of The Fastest Way to Your Next Personal Best Running Power by Hans van Dijk, Ron Van Vermegen, and Conde Honk. This is recited by Evan Schwartz at Stride. Forward. Years ago, coach and sports physician Guido Froman spoke enthusiastically about power measurement for runners. I wasn't very interested. I preferred to train mostly without equipment, and whenever I did want to use some sort of measuring device, I just used a basic heart rate monitor. With a heart rate monitor, I gained insight about my body and my heart rate instead of my output, my power. For that matter, I didn't believe you could accurately measure power in running. As a cyclist, I could somewhat imagine power output, but as a runner, it seemed unreliable and pointless. Until that is, I bumped into data geeks Han van Dijk and Ron van Meegen, engineers who loved running and measuring running. The duo were very enthusiastic about Stride's running power meter, and it caught my attention. I tried to read their book, Running With Power, but it proved to be a challenge. As it turned out, the book is full of formulas, like t equals e over p equals mgh over p equals m times 9.81 times 100 over p equals 981 over p over m? Halfway through the first chapter, I set the book aside. Too complicated. I just wanted to run and to find out how to improve my 10k PR, or how to run a full marathon instead of realistic goal time. I emailed Hans and Ron asking if they would like to get a cup of coffee, partially because their contagious enthusiasm for running by power made me curious about this new phenomenon. But I also wondered whether it was a good idea for me, historically a run-by-feel athlete, to run by power. Hans and Ron laughed when I complained about their book. Yes. We love formulas and calculations, admitted Hans. But you don't have to make it that complicated, Ron added. Running power is very simple, easier than running with a heart rate monitor. At first, I didn't believe them. But after two coffees, an orange juice, and a lengthy discussion of power, I wanted to try it. I followed the instructions Ron and Hans gave me and started training by power. And to my surprise, it brought a lot of peace to my training. Running by power does indeed appear to give more peace than running on heart rate. Peace? I didn't expect that. I thought that adding something else on top of heart rate, Strava, and GPS would be overwhelming. But it turns out that I now only have to pay attention to one thing my power. My power fluctuates much less than my heart rate, and to my surprise, it turns out to work really well. I've been consistently getting faster ever since I started to run with a power meter. In this book, Hans van Dijk, Ron van Meegen, and I write about the pros and cons of running by power. Users who have been training by power for some time share their experiences, and we'll discuss in detail the differences between training by heart rate, speed, or power. Initially, our goal was to write a book about running power in the general sense. We didn't want to write a refined brochure about Stride, the best-known power meter on the market, but gradually, we ended up with Stride. When it comes to running power, Stride is simply more reliable than anything offered by Polar, Garmin, or Koros. In the future, power meters that can compete with Stride will certainly enter the market. When that time comes, we'll add them to our book. This edition is mainly about Stride because they represent the current market leader and by a significant margin. With this book and a running power meter, training will be easier than ever. You don't need an expensive personal trainer and you don't have to do an exercise test every quarter. With your stride, you can easily go full throttle once a month on your favorite short distance and your data will automatically remain up to date and reliable. If you're running with stride, you have your coach on your shoe and every session is automatically included in your training analysis. All you have to do is train with variety and enjoy your new PRs. In this book, I regularly draw on my own experiences. The knowledge and background about running by power comes mainly from Hans van Dyke and Ron van Meegen. We tried to write a book for runners who want to improve themselves, regardless of whether you want to run a 20 or 30 minute 5K, whether you train to race a 10K, or you run for general health. Running power is a valuable tool from the moment you decide to pursue greater fitness. I even suspect that within 5 years, running power will be more common than heart rate training is today. Not sure if running power is right for you? This book will help you find the answer to that. Do you have any questions, thoughts, or comments we didn't address in the book? Feel free to visit prorun.nl. That's proru n.nl. Have fun reading and running. Part 1. What is power exactly and why should you measure it? What are watts? After many poor grades and frustrating struggles, I was happy to be able to drop physics in the ninth grade of high school. I'll take languages over the hard sciences any day. What I'm interested in, in addition to languages, is running, making how to progress transparent, and finding ways to improve my sports performance. To train with power, you don't even need to know what a watt is. Even without knowing, you can improve personal records and make progress. For example, You don't need to know how the internet works to use it. If you know how to enter the URL for your favorite news website, you'll automatically see the news of the day, even without knowing how it's possible that you can access the internet from nearly any place in the world. It's exactly the same with wattage from your running power. You can work with it without knowledge of power itself and without knowledge of how said power is measured. As long as you know at what level of power you have to run in during a training session, or at what level of power you can run during a 5K, 10K, or a half or full marathon, you will make progress. If you're not interested in the background of watts and power, but you just want to do targeted training for your PR, you can skip part one of this book and go all the way to part two. There, we explain how you can use your power to improve your running performance. If you're not yet convinced of the usefulness of power training, it's instructive to know what power meters actually measure, how they do it, and what the differences are with heart rate measurement. A watt is a physical unit of measurement used to indicate power, which is the amount of energy consumed per second. Energy is represented by the unit joule. Calories may be something you're familiar with from food. Joules are simply an alternative way to represent energy. Let's take a look at some energy and power values that we may be familiar with. For example, A kilocalorie is equal to 4.184 kilojoules. Dietitians tell us that we consume roughly around 2,500 kilocalories per day, which corresponds to 10,460 kilojoules. In addition to kilocalories and kilojoules, we also recall energy consumption as kilowatt hours when tracking the use of electricity. One kilowatt hour equals 3,600 kilojoules. So we can say that the energy value of our daily food corresponds to 10,460 over 3,600, which is equal to 2.9 kilowatt hours. That's not much, especially when we consider that one kilowatt hour costs approximately 12 cents U.S. dollars. If we were to eat electricity, we'd only need to pay 2.9 times 0.12, which is about 35 cents in US dollars to cover our needs each day. So, without talking about food and electricity, how do we make use of this knowledge? In his article appearing in Outside, author Alex Hutchinson nicely describes why we're all interested in calories, even if we just don't know it yet. Why should you care? It's a matter of terminology, says Hutchinson. If you do a sports performance test, having your VO2 max determined with advanced equipment, you're actually also measuring calories. Oxygen uptake is measured as it's a good measure of energy consumption. And if you use this data to determine your heart rate zones and where your anaerobic threshold is, then you can use your heart rate as a proxy for energy use. In other words, calories. And even for runners who run by feel, without a heart rate monitor, without a power meter, without a GPS watch, you could argue That they rely on their perception of how quickly they burn calories and how long they last. In short, knowing your use of calories plays a big role in your preparation for a new PR. When we run, a chain reaction of physical activity takes place. Our heart rate increases, our lung capacity is used to a greater extent, our muscles are switched on, and blood flow accelerates. You can think of the human body as a complex miracle, where 100,000 billion cells intelligently work together. But you can also represent the function of the human motor, the muscles, and the heart-lung function which can deliver a certain power and a number expressed in watts. We all know that running takes energy, and it makes sense that it takes more energy to run a marathon as fast as possible than it does to run a 5 kilometer at your leisure. You can express the energy you use in kilojoules, or K capital J. Watts are the number in which your energy consumption per second is expressed. You can imagine a runner as a machine that extracts energy from food and converts it into valuable fuels for running. There's one problem, though. No machine is perfectly efficient, and neither is your body you never get as much energy from your body as you put into it. For example, a car is only 25% efficient. If your car has used 100 joules of gasoline energy, only 25 of these joules have been used to propel the car forward, while the remaining 75 joules have been converted to useless heat. Your muscles are also around 25% efficient, under normal circumstances. But that depends, among other things, on training, stride length, ground contact time, temperature, and more. Together with your weight, your energy consumption and your power are therefore a golden combination to predict how fast you can run at certain distances. Because if you know how much power your body can deliver, you also know what your body can do to push your weight in a given direction at a certain speed. You can think of this simple phrase, Power is the amount of energy per second it takes to propel your body in a particular direction. Ron and Hans have created a clear model to describe running power. Your overall power is the power to move you forward, the power to resist air as you're moving forward, and the power to overcome any incline you might be climbing. This model might look simple, and we have a graphical illustration of this in the ebook that is available, but it's based on complicated formulas. For example, the air resistance depends on, among other things, wind speed, temperature, air pressure, your height above sea level, and your body size. You'll also notice that the air resistance is different when you walk alone or in a group, or where you're partially sheltered from the airflow. The Amsterdam Beach Marathon is the most famous half marathon in the Netherlands. You start on the beach near Amsterdam, and halfway, you turn off the beach back through the dunes. A very tough section where the runners on the beach were facing strong winds was an excellent opportunity for Hans and Ron to test their stride power meter in strong winds. A running friend of theirs, Niels, ran this section of the De Helven Egmond with stride, and the results were interesting. What happened? On the beach and running against the strong wind, it turned out that Niels had to deliver an average of 40 watts to overcome the wind while running. Delivering power peaks of more than 70 watts contributed solely from air resistance. Running with a constant power, you can imagine that your speed will be quite a lot slower if the wind alone requires an extra 40 watts to overcome. In this example, Niels ran consistently at 270 watts, a wattage that he knew he could sustain for a half marathon. His pace was 8 minutes and 5 seconds per mile in a strong headwind and with the same power as compared to the pace he ran with a tailwind, which was 7 minutes a mile, a difference of 1 minute and 5 seconds per mile running into a headwind and with the tailwind. His runtime, 1 hour, 36 minutes and 28 seconds for the half marathon. By running with constant power, he knew exactly what to do in the strong wind. If he was measuring heart rate, This wouldn't have worked out nearly as well because heart rate always needs a little time to climb to a steady and reliable number. Running with pace would not have been possible at all because he would never have known how much slower he'd have to run against the headwind. This example clearly shows how running with power works well in strong winds and also on hilly terrain. The great thing about power is this. All these conditions can be captured in only one single number. Your power. And if you know at what level of power you need to run to get better, you'll improve quickly. Altitude, wind, temperature, speed, heart rate, and air pressure all of these variables affect the total time of an event. Of course, you can't constantly keep an eye on all these variables. When the weather gets warmer, or when you walk up a hill or a bridge, it affects your heart rate and pace. Should you mainly pay attention to your heart rate or pace? And in the warmer weather, is it better to run with a higher heart rate? A lower heart rate? Or the same heart rate you run with in the cold weather? These questions are all difficult to answer, and during an event, it's too complicated to attempt to take all these variables into account. The big advantage of running with power is that you only have to keep an eye on this one simple to understand number that takes everything into account—altitude, temperature, speed, wind, humidity, and air pressure. We have a great graph in the eBook version that shows all of these benefits of running with power, and all these variables freely changing, and it shows how you can simply keep your power level at a constant number. The best part is that this predictor in this graph works accurately across all distances. So if you run three kilometers as fast as possible once, you get a very accurate picture of what's possible for a 10-kilometer race, half marathon, or full marathon. For example, if you look at wattage instead of speed, you'll also know exactly how much slower you'd have to run up against a hill or run into a headwind. Better yet, even downhill, you can see at exactly what level of power you should run at to keep your wattage at the right intensity. Power allows you to clearly see your progress regardless of whether you primarily run on a running track, or in a forest, or on a hill. Sure, this all sounds good. But doesn't heart rate measure your progression and capability of your body too? What works for you? Training by power, heart rate, or pace? Many runners who take their sport seriously have a heart rate monitor. They know there are heart rate zones, and they know where they perform best. This allows them to train and measure their progression in a targeted manner. Why is heart rate monitoring so popular with runners? In 1982, Polar was the first company to come up with a watch for a wide audience that could measure heart rate. With smartphones, Fitbits, heart rate monitors, pedometers, and the Apple Watch, we now have endless brands and devices with which we can measure heart rate, steps, speed, sleep, activity, and stress. But in the early 80s, Polar was actually the first to launch a watch With which you could collect data from your own body. And the data you could collect was heart rate. With a strap around your chest and a watch connected to it, you could see what your heart rate was while you were running. Many researchers and exercise physiologists use these devices to conduct research on topics such as the relationship between heart rate and fuel consumption. We learned that at a low heart rate you could use your fats relatively more and that at a higher heart rate you could use your glycogen stores more. We'll talk more about glycogen later. The relationship between heart rate and lactic acid was extensively explored, and the tipping point became a value that, as an avid runner, you simply had to know. The tipping point, or anaerobic threshold, or AT point, is the heart rate at which you produce more lactic acid than you break down. As a side note, It is worth pointing out that the end product of glycolysis is pyruvate, that if not shuttled to another energy system, the pyruvate becomes lactate. What sometimes gets lost in translation is that lactate, when interacting with hydrogen, turns into lactic acid. Lactic acid is, as mentioned, not negative in its own right, but more to the point, is Actually, the hydrogen ions that cause a lot of problems when lactic acid moves into the blood, separates, and the free hydrogen causes issues that make running more difficult. Lactic acid is sometimes mistakenly seen only as a waste product. What not everyone knows is that you also produce lactic acid with light exertion, and that in low doses, lactic acid is used by the heart as fuel. It's only when you produce more lactic acid than you can use, that it starts to become an issue. As lactic acid accumulates, you start to lose performance capability, and you use your glycogen stores to the fullest. You can maintain this intensity for about an hour. What works for you, training by power, heart rate, or pace? We're going to talk a little bit more about the anaerobic threshold and fuel. Is the anaerobic threshold a new concept for you? We'll briefly explain what it is and why it's so valuable for a runner to know about it. If you exercise more intensively, your muscles need more oxygen because energy must be consumed faster. That's why your heart rate goes up with physical exertion. Your heart pumps more oxygen to your muscles. If you accelerate after a gentle warm-up, your heart rate will increase, as will your breathing frequency and tidal volume. In the beginning, you'll breathe deeper, but not faster. They'll automatically become a point if you keep increasing the intensity, at which you can no longer breathe deeper, yet your whole body will still require more oxygen. That's when you start to breathe faster. This is the moment when a new type of training stimulus starts. At your aerobic threshold and above this effort, you'll build up fitness. It's called the aerobic threshold because when you're taking in a lot of oxygen, you can mainly use fats as your fuel. You can maintain this intensity for between 4 to 6 hours. It varies on the athlete. If you keep increasing intensity beyond the aerobic threshold, you'll reach your anaerobic threshold eventually. You'll breathe less deeply and exponentially faster. Lactic acid accumulates, and you can maintain this effort for about an hour while mainly burning glycogen. You have four fuels to draw from. ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate, creatine phosphate, glycogen, and fat. Glycogen and fat are particularly important for endurance athletes. You can run quite a few marathons with your fats as fuel. The big advantage of fat is that you can take a lot of energy with you, even if you have a relatively low weight. Even if you have a body fat percentage of, say, 8%, and you weigh 70 kilograms or about 154 pounds, you still have 5.6 kilograms or about 12.3 pounds of fat, good for more than six marathons. A disadvantage of fat is that it does provide energy, but the energy is released slowly and a lot of oxygen is needed. So if you run slowly, you can use your fats, but if you increase intensity, you also need another fuel, your glycogen. You have about 500 grams or 1.1 pounds of your glycogen stored in your muscles and in your liver. These 500 grams equal approximately 2,000 kilocalories. Every runner has enough fat to live on for weeks, we sometimes joke that you can easily find out exactly for how long you can persist with fuel stored in your fat stores. Stop eating and then wait until you die. That's how long. You can go with, without food for more than 40 days, which shows that you have fuel you can really use for a long time. A property of fats is that they're energy efficient and last a long time. When you sit in a chair and you're relaxed, you're mainly using your energy efficient fats. When you go for a run, you also use your energy-fast sugars. You should not confuse these sugars with the sugars in sweets or sports drinks. It's a general term that includes slower carbohydrates. In exercise physiology, these sugars are called glycogen stores. The glycogen is stored in your liver and around your muscle. A well-trained runner can run on maximum glycogen use for about one and a half to two hours. However, it's not true that the combustion of one fuel stops before the other continues. In other words, you're never running on only fat or only glycogen. And fat always contributes. As you keep adding intensity, more muscle fibers are involved that eat something else. So the idea that one system is switched on, glycogen, and that your other system, fats, no longer participate is not the case. The fact that oxygen uptake increases proportionally with increasing load provides evidence that both systems remain active. If the fat burners in your muscles, which use the most oxygen, stop, the oxygen uptake would no longer increase in a linear fashion. Oxygen uptake does increase linearly, showing that fat burning does indeed continue throughout. Okay, but you might ask yourself, How is this past section useful? How is this knowledge useful? Because you always have more fat than glycogen. As a runner, you want to achieve two things with training. And remember these two things. One, run as fast as possible on your energy efficient fats. And two, store as much glycogen as possible in your liver and muscles. Here's a fun fact before we move on. A kilogram or about 2.2 pounds of fat is good for about 9,000 kilocalories. So again, in our example, if you weigh 70 kilograms or 154 pounds, you have a body fat percentage of 20%, you have 14 kilograms of fat times 9,000 kilocalories equals 126,000 kilocalories of fat. You can store about 500 grams of glycogen, which is about 2,000 kilocalories. With this knowledge, you immediately know why many training schedules emphasize that variation is important. You want to train your muscles to run efficiently on fats, and you want to stimulate your muscles to store glycogen. Let's get back to talking about heart rate. Many heart rate monitors, therefore, work with zones based on this tipping point that we addressed. There are three general zones that we're just going to address here. We'll call Zone 1 very easy. It has little training effect, it's about recovery. For your body, fuel consumption is comparable to sitting on the couch, not much happens. In terms of training, however, it's part of your schedule that should not be underestimated. In this very easy, or we'll call it Zone 1, you run but you don't build up excessive fatigue, damage your muscles to an extensive amount, tendons, ligaments, and joints don't get as much stress as the other zones. Zone two, if you exercise more intensively, you'll reach your aerobic threshold. And this is where a different type of training effect begins. And in zone three, if you keep increasing training intensity, you'll arrive at your lactate acid turning point, and you'll no longer be able to maintain your power. This is the anaerobic threshold. If you're already familiar with the concept of critical power, which we'll touch more on later, this concept should sound familiar. Though we describe three zones here, you'll often see five zones in heart rate training because three zones are distinguished between the aerobic and the anaerobic threshold. And there's also a separate zone above your turning point. The three stages we mentioned earlier can be registered faster and more clearly by looking at your breathing. When you get up from the couch and you go outside to run, you start to breathe deeper. So the first zone is that you take deeper breaths without breathing faster. At the aerobic threshold, your body asks for more oxygen and you breathe faster, as we described in the box about aerobic threshold in the section we covered earlier. You'll keep increasing intensity, so you'll breathe faster and faster with the same tidal volume until you reach your tipping point, the anaerobic threshold. At this point, you can no longer deepen your breathing. Because you still need more oxygen, you'll breathe faster, but more shallowly. Physiologically, your breathing responds faster than your heart rate, which makes it ideal for targeted training. It's just that back in 1982, it was easier for the company Polar to measure heart rate via belt than to measure respiratory frequency and tidal volume. So they decided to go with a heart rate monitor. Now, when you get a new heart rate monitor, you take it out of the box and you turn it on, you might be prompted with some questions that you have to answer. Like, what language do you speak? What time is it? Do you want a 12 hour or 24 hour time format? Do you wear your watch on the left or right side? How much do you weigh? What's your birth? And that's where it goes wrong. Your watch determines your maximum heart rate based on your age. There's a standard formula that determines your maximum heart rate that you might have heard before 220 minus your age. Based on this invented maximum heart rate, the monitor will determine your zones. This is a shame because for many runners, the standard formula does not apply at all. Suppose you're 45 years old and you have an actual maximum heart rate of 195. Your watch says 220 minus your age, again, 45. That gives you a maximum heart rate of 175 beats per minute. If you then train in these zones in a targeted manner, you'll become quite annoyed because every time you run smoothly, your heart rate monitor starts to beep that you should slow down. In this way, you'll structure training too carefully and at a certain point, you'll no longer make progress. That is a shame and you can do better. Heart rate measurement has taught us a lot in the last 40 years. And with a reliable heart rate monitor and sufficient knowledge, you can train on flat terrain as long as you don't do super short intervals. In some cases, however, a heart rate monitor is not suitable. For example, with your interval training of 200 or 400 meter repeats, by the time your heart rate starts to get high, you're already at the end. Running uphill is another issue when training by heart rate. Your pace drops, and your heart rate shoots up, and your results are hard to compare to your flat training laps. But the biggest danger of heart rate training is an inaccurately measured heart rate. Many major brands have switched from measurements via a strap around the chest to a wrist monitor, and those are still far from accurate for everyone. Runners who often suffer from cold hands generally get inaccurately low heart rate values from a wrist monitor. Author Ron himself has had a different experience. His wrist monitor indicates that values are too high, If you look at the physiology of a person, it actually makes more sense to measure breaths instead of heart rate. The three stages and zones we mentioned earlier, again, can be registered faster and more clearly by looking at your breathing. When you get up from the couch, again, and you go outside to run, you start to breathe deeper. So that verse zone, again, is when you start to take deeper breaths without breathing faster. At this aerobic threshold we talked about, you start to breathe faster And we get to that aerobic and then anaerobic. And again, we talked about increasing intensity. You'll start to breathe faster and faster. And this is a thing that you can look at instead of just looking at the heart rate and the beats per minute. Before heart rate monitors even emerged, enthusiastic runners trained by pace. Funnily enough, training by pace in the 1970s and 1980s was very reliable. But nowadays, that's no longer the case. How is that possible? Fifty years ago, there were no watches that determined your speed via GPS, so if you started training focused on pace, you were forced to train with a stopwatch and to know your distance very precisely. On a running track, you could calculate exactly how fast you had to run your 200, 400, or 1000 meter repeats to train at a certain pace. That way of tempo training is of course still reliable and still very popular with track training. With your fastest time at a certain distance, like 3 kilometers, 5 kilometers, 10 kilometers, you can calculate what your possible times are at other distances. You can also determine what your intensive interval pace is or your leisurely endurance runs are. So, what's the problem? Many runners have a Garmin, Polar, Koros, and train by pace using their watch as a compass. Unfortunately, this way of measuring is not always reliable because the watch bases your speed on GPS data. Your watch is connected to satellites and uses the distance between the different position measuring points to know how fast you took to get from point A to point B. Tall buildings, trees with wet leaves, winding roads, or not enough connected satellites can all contribute to GPS measurement errors. Pace-based GPS varies from moment to moment and is not very useful. Of course, the measurements are stable over a long distance because the deviations average out. Therefore, if you run a marathon, typically, your distance will always be around 42.195 kilometers or 26.2 miles. Although, you're not always running the ideal line and your watch is always slightly off. We all know that when training on a track and using Strava, it sometimes seems as if you've cut straight across the middle area. That's simply because your watch combined two satellite points and missed the curve in between. Another disadvantage of running with a heart rate monitor is that your heart rate responds slowly. When you run up a hill, your muscles immediately use more energy, but your heart rate takes time to notice that your muscles need more oxygen and it needs to pump faster. So, if you walk up a hill with a constant heart rate, you have to work hard for the first part and you have to walk very slowly for the second part. This is just one of the great advantages of using Stride for training. You train by power, and Stride does not depend on GPS or heart rate, but it measures the power with the accelerometers on your foot. And it turns out to be extremely reliable. The breakthrough in power running came with the use of inertial measurement units or IMUs. We typically call them accelerometers. These are small instruments in a chip that can be used to measure accelerations. The measuring principle is based on the fact that the crystals in the chip produce a piezoelectric effect under the influence of an acceleration. This effect results in a voltage that can be measured. The stride chip accurately measures this voltage more than hundred times per second, which makes the device ingenious and reliable. Ah, Ron and Hans, I don't really know what you're saying. Plain human language, please. Okay, we have a great everyday example. Thanks to an accelerometer, your mobile phone knows whether you're holding it horizontally or vertically. If you watch a video on YouTube and you tilt your phone. The image on your screen tilts. With this exact same type of technology, your running watch knows your cadence and number of steps. Accelerometers today are very cheap, very accurate, and they're found in all kinds of devices such as smartphones, cars, tablets, pedometers, and running watches. A smart power meter uses this technology to determine your speed and stride cadence. And that turns out to be much more reliable than GPS. Stride Power Meter is currently leading the way in converting this technology into reliable speed and power measurements for runners. The sensor includes six accelerometers. These measure the acceleration of your body while running in three directions horizontal, vertical, and lateral or sideways. Obviously, in running, it's important to limit vertical and lateral movements, as this consumes energy that doesn't contribute to forward displacement. Everyone has a certain optimal economic step frequency and technique. With Stride, you can determine which running technique suits you best. As mentioned, Stride takes measurements many times per second, which makes the accuracy of the device very precise. And Stride doesn't just measure your movement from side to side, top to bottom, and your speed forward, but also air pressure, temperature, humidity... These measurements, combined with your weight and height, together with Stride's well thought out algorithms, accurately reflect your power. When you run, you can see your power in watts via your smartphone, Apple watch, running watch. Your power is calculated from your weight, then measured with acceleration in those three directions, the speed and the air resistance, with some basic formulas. Like if you think back to high school physics, you might remember force equals mass times acceleration. Stride's breakthrough is a software it's developed to calculate the power by using all the data from the accelerometers continuously and in real time. As we know, the basic formulas are simple, but a complicated algorithm is needed to accurately calculate the power based on the accelerations in all directions. The advantage of the stride foot pod is that it gives you a pure and exact measurement of power in real time. This gives you a much better and objective picture of your effort than your feeling, your speed, or your heart rate alone. And the biggest advantage for runners who prefer simplicity rather than to read complicated books about training or listen to a droning on and on audiobook recitation of that same book, you only need to train with one number in mind. As long as you know which level of power you need for which training, that's enough. Let's talk a little bit about why wattages from other companies might be a little different, might be wrong. One of Cohn's running friends wanted to know what his expected time was on a half marathon. To calculate, he used the power of a fast 10k he ran. I may not have gone all the way because I was running on my own, but I did my best anyway, said Juste. His time on the 10K was 44 minutes and 15 seconds, and his power was 357 watts. So, they used 357 watts as his critical power and started calculating. According to formulas, after some calculations, he'd end up running a half marathon of 1 hour, 16 minutes, and 34 seconds. That can't be true. Did you enter your correct weight and stride? I don't have a stride, Seduce. I measured it with my polar. What did we find out after we took a look into the numbers? The power measured by Polar and Garmin is far too high. Hans and Ron have done several studies that showed that the wattages of Polar and Garmin were 25 to 35% higher than those of stride. The differences can be explained by the fact that Polar and Garmin derived their power readings from measurements with force plates in the lab. However, this doesn't take into account the energy recovery in muscles during the landing phase. Stride bases calculations on the actual power required to move around while running, resulting in this difference of 25-35%. to 35%. In addition, Polar and Garmin use GPS, which is much less accurate. Incidentally, the relatively new brand Coros does make use of the necessary power to move around while running. Coros has fully integrated this information from the Stride footpod. This makes the Coros watch actually a strong duo with Stride. KOROS can also measure the power based on GPS, but this is still, again, as we covered, less accurate, especially with changes in speed and course. KOROS also doesn't take into account the resistance from the wind, so for now, stride works best. What is critical power, and what can you do with it? In the previous chapter, we wrote about the tipping point, your anaerobic threshold, and different heart rate zones. When running by power, your critical power, or CP, or CP, is a valuable number to know. You can use it to determine your different training zones. Your critical power is the power that you can maintain for a certain duration. Because of this definition, it can sometimes be confusing. In sports literature, this could be the power that you can sustain for 20 minutes, also called your CP20, 45 minutes or CP45, or 60 minutes, known as CP60. CP60 is a lower wattage than CP45, and CP45 is lower in wattage than CP20. Stride uses one critical power, calculated based on your power duration curve. Without knowing your critical power, you can't properly use your power for training and competitions. A power of, for example, 260 watts says nothing. Just like a heart rate of, for example, 173 beats per minute doesn't say anything. For the information you gather to be useful, you need to know what capacity you can maintain for a certain period of time. Until recently, you had to do an exercise test with a sports doctor to accurately determine your heart rate zones. On a bicycle or a treadmill, you'd go through increasing levels of cycling harder and faster. A sports doctor would take a small sample of blood at each level to measure your lactic acid values, or you'd have to wear a mask for a breath analysis. A major disadvantage of these expensive tests was that the athletes regularly got anxious from wearing the mask or doing the blood test, and that the measurements were therefore not completely true to reality in comparison with outdoor sports in the real world. For example, it was possible that, due to rapid breathing, the anaerobic threshold was set too low and the athletes started exercising with heart rate levels that were lower than they should be. The result? Frustration. to slow pace and little progression because of overly cautious training. A power meter has the great advantage that you can determine your critical power outside on the street or in nature. You can take a test to determine your critical power, but Stride also has a feature to automatically adjust your critical power based on your workouts, it's called auto-calculated critical power. Basically. Stride itself determines your critical power based on a series of training sessions and competitions. The auto-calculated critical power is accurate within 1-2% for most runners and adjusts automatically as the runner changes shape. To get a good indication of your critical power when you first start, three training sessions with sufficient variation are required. For example, short distance sprints or accelerations with a duration of 10-30 to 30 seconds. A medium distance, about 10 to 20 minutes at a hard effort or a 5k or 10k time trial at your race pace. And then a long distance, a gentle endurance run of at least 50 minutes. After that, the workouts are tracked over the last 90 days and your critical power becomes increasingly more accurate. Every workout counts. The fact that every run is automatically included in your critical power is a luxury that will give you enormous benefits in the long term. In the past, you probably went to a sports doctor once a year to determine your VO2 max and your heart rate zones if you're so lucky to get that treatment. With Stride, every training is analyzed and compared with your values from the past. As with any new device, it takes a little thought and dedication to download Stride's app and pair your Stride with your phone and your watch, but once you've done that, you'll have the smartest and most loyal trainer in the world sitting right on top of your shoe. In the Stride mobile app, you'll see various data under summary like stress, running stress balance, upcoming events, your power duration curve, and your critical power at the bottom. First, you'll see your power in orange and then your power per kilogram of body weight. You'll only want one thing, that your capacity per kilogram of body weight is as high as possible. It can be very addictive in a good way to work to increase your critical power. We see regular sessions on Strava with the subject, Critical Power Boost Workout. After your workout, you'll have to wait anxiously to see if you've earned the notification, your critical power has increased. If your critical power suddenly drops a number of points, it means that your critical power was determined more than 90 days ago, and that you haven't trained at the level of your critical power for 90 days. In short, did your critical power drop? Then it's time to get to work. That sounds good getting to work, but what exactly does your critical power do for you? If you're stuck at the same level at the moment, but would like to improve your PR of the 5k, 10k, half marathon or full marathon, then your critical power is priceless. Variation in training is important, especially if you train specifically for a PR. Five basic zones emerge from your personal critical power. You have your easy, zone, your moderate zone, your threshold, which is the upper limit near your critical power, you have an interval zone, and a repetition zone. In the chapters focusing on the different distances, 5k, 10k, half marathon, and full marathon, we'll discuss these zones in more detail. What distinguishes running by power from heart rate is the possibility to do more targeted interval training. The great thing about running by power is that you can work with two zones above your tipping point. You can, of course, run an interval of 200 meters at a higher power than intervals of 400 or 600 meters. That distinction can't be made with a heart rate monitor. Above your anaerobic threshold, you only have one zone from your anaerobic threshold to your maximum heart rate. It wouldn't make any sense to have any other zones above your anaerobic threshold for short intervals. Just think about it. If you really run 200 meters intensively, it's not hard to overshoot your target. But by the time your heart rate is too high, you've already finished your 200 meter repeat. When you train by power, you can do targeted intervals at 200 meters. For example, if you want to run at 320 watts for 200 meters, you can check after about 80 meters or even earlier, whether you're running too fast or running just right, and then you can speed up or slow down. Another advantage of power training is that you can go full out at any time that you want. Of course, this is always possible, but normally you don't know exactly how fast you can run at any given distance or time. If you know that you can run 10 kilometers in 50 minutes, it's easy to figure out how fast you would be on a 5k, a half marathon, or full marathon. But if your favorite run has a nice segment of, for this example, 1,380 meters, calculations become a lot more complicated. Doing the math for one segment of a run is manageable, but if you have different segments on different laps where you'd like to go full throttle, you obviously don't want to calculate the ideal time for all of those odd distances. For example, 2,130 meters, the ideal run time is slightly different than, for example, 1,380 meters. With power and stride, all these distances become easy to work with. But you might be asking, what does this have to do with critical power? Based on your critical power, you get a beautiful curve showing all wattages between 10 seconds and roughly three or more hours. So every distance and time is included. And the best part is you don't have to do any complicated calculations. It's all automatic. So if you accelerate during, for example, 1,380 meters, that's a reliable test run to see whether you're progressing or not. In the power duration curve, you can see a white line called your modeled curve, which is your potential, and then a blue segment, your actual results of the past 30 days. The power duration curve is very interesting for several reasons. The power duration curve is based on your running performances over the past 90 days, and you can find this in your Stride mobile app or online on Stride's Power Center. To our knowledge, there are currently no other parties that work with a power curve for running, although it's long been commonplace in the cycling world. That's why triathletes are so excited about running with power. They're already familiar with the many benefits of the power curve. Let's talk about a few of the benefits of the power curve. First point, you can go full throttle on your favorite part of your run and you'll always get valuable information from it. So even if it's a hill of 272 meters or a lap with a distance you don't normally run in a competition like, for example, 5,752 meters. You can also see what level of power you have to run at for a PR at your favorite distance and you can quickly see whether that's already feasible or if you still need more training. We dare to say that your power curve alone is already enough to make meaningful uses of power and to train for your PR in a targeted way. Achievements older than 90 days are not included in the curve. It's about what you can do now, not what you were able to do in the faraway past. If you performed well today, the corresponding point in the power duration curve will improve immediately. If a 90-day performance falls outside of the curve, that affects the curve. The best performance of the last 90 days will take its place. You can also use the curve the other way around. For example, if you think that 45 minutes on a 10k is feasible, you can check the curve to see which power is associated with that 45 minute duration. Whether or not a certain time is achievable with your current level can easily be determined using the race power calculator. We'll talk more about that later. The Race Power Calculator will give you a good indication of the minimum power level that you must maintain for optimal performance. Disadvantages of training by power We've discussed some of the great benefits of running by power. You don't need a relatively unreliable GPS, and your power responds much faster than heart rate. And even with a headwind and uphill terrain, you can continue to run by power. Power training provides peace of mind, and you can train specifically for APR. Are there any disadvantages of training by power? We often hear from runners who are used to training with a heart rate monitor that the monitor can be a necessary break for people with a lot of stress. After all, stress at work or after an illness makes your heart rate go up, so if you train with heart rate, you should naturally run more slowly in times of stress. Also, for avid runners who overtrain, the heart rate monitor can be a remedy if the heart rate no longer rises during intensive training. Does this happen with running by power? No. Strides Power Meter determines your critical power based on your workouts. Training older than 90 days doesn't count towards your critical power. That is to say, progress is directly included in your new values, but illness or overtraining is only compensated for after 90 days. Here's an example. Imagine you run a very fast 10K in March. You participate in an event, and you give it everything you've got. You cross the line exhausted, red-faced, heavy legs, nice PR. The following week is rough. You have some life stresses, like your colleague is sick and you're working twice as hard. You might have just had an intensive medical surgery. Life is full of heartbreak and stress. If you keep running and only train with stride, things can go wrong. Running is a welcome distraction. But your body does not recover as well as you're used to during this difficult, stressful period. If you continue to train on your max ability and you train just as often as before all the setbacks, then things are bound to go wrong. After all, your stride will take your time from March that you just PR'd in your 10K and your critical power and your zones for another 90 days. The fact that you're gradually performing less is only taken into account in June, 90 days after March. Incidentally, Stride does monitor your training sessions to check whether you're training constructively or whether you may be doing unnoticed damage. Stride indicates this by means of running stress balance. A handy trick from Stride that we'll discuss here is your running stress balance, or RSB. Your RSB indicates the difference between the activities of the last seven days versus the last 42 days. This way, you can see in one number whether you're improving or whether you could use some rest in terms of the amount of running stress that you're generating. If your RSB is negative 40 or lower, it's good to take a few days rest. If you're between negative 25 and negative 40, you should be careful. Extra rest works better than an intensive workout. You're training constructively when you're between negative 10 and negative 25. It's good to be in between these two points during training periods and to take some rest days in the run-up to a goal effort. Between negative 10 and positive 5, you'll maintain the condition you have. So if you're training and want to get better, you should put on your running shoes more often or run more intensively. If you have consciously taken some rest because of an important event that's coming up, that's totally fine. When you're between positive 5 and positive 25, it's the perfect RSB to be at at the start of an event where you want to PR. Of course, after a training period between negative 10 and negative 25. If you're between positive 25 and positive 45, then you need a push to get off the couch and start running again. However, this running stress balance is only related to your training and it doesn't know whether you're feeling ill or stressed. So that remains one pitfall of running by power. The disadvantage of running by power is easy to fix. You can train by power and heart rate. Power controls your training. When training, you only have to pay attention to power, but in Strides Power Center or on Strava or another app where you analyze your workouts, you can check whether your heart rate is keeping up. When you're in good shape, your heart rate will drop over time at a certain wattage. Your body has become stronger, and your critical power improves. You deliver more power at fewer heartbeats, Hans and Run go as far as to keep a graph of all training sessions for themselves in an Excel document. Such a graph is very educational and will help you avoid unpleasant surprises. Resting heart rate. Another way to check whether you're recovering sufficiently from your workouts is your resting heart rate. Your resting heart rate is a value that you can measure on a daily basis. It's the heartbeat you have when you sit quietly on the couch. Whether you're measuring resting heart rate in the morning or in the evening, It doesn't matter as long as you have consistency and you do it at the same time. Make sure that you sit for at least five minutes because your heart rate increases just from standing. In any case, it's very educational to measure your resting heart rate for a period of time. You'll gain insight into your recovery in relation to work, sleep, alcohol, jet lag, and training. Is your heart rate five beats higher than you're used to? That could be a sign that it's time to rest even if you actually had an intensive interval in mind. Heart rate variability. More and more heart rate monitors are also showing heart rate variability. That's even more reliable than your resting heart rate. Your heart rate variability is the time difference between two consecutive heartbeats. Are you training in a constructive way? And are you recovering well? Then your heart rate variability increases. Contrary to popular belief, it's unhealthy if your heart rate beats evenly. During your inhalation, your heart rate increases a little, and when you exhale, your heart rate decreases. This is related to two different systems in your autonomic nervous system, your orthosympathetic system and your parasympathetic system. Your orthosympathetic system is your so-called accelerator and stands for action, high heart rate, the upper number of your blood pressure, and rapid breathing. Your parasympathetic system is the recovery, the brake pedal of your body. Your parasympathetic system stands for rest, recovery, low heart rate, the lower number of your blood pressure, and calm, relaxed breathing. In times of stress and a lot of work or training, your orthosympathetic system can take the upper hand and even remain active in your sleep. By measuring your heart rate variability, you can keep an eye on this and you can build in rest and take more time for relaxation exercises when needed. We love measuring and making progress transparent, but of course there's also ways of knowing if you're making progress without using measurements. If you feel fit and full of energy, you're fine. Do you dread running workouts and feel tired and lethargic? Then it's time to rest and listen to your body. After 15 minutes of running, if you've felt pretty bad, you'll know whether it's okay to go back home or whether it's better to keep running and get more energy. Do you still feel tired after 15 minutes of running? Then it could be time to rest. But it may well be that you're surprisingly more ready after 15 minutes of running than when you just stepped out of the door. Then it's fine to finish your workout. To summarize... The disadvantage of running by power is that you can't measure fatigue in your body with a power meter. But power meters are great for measuring progress. That's why we're going to switch directions and talk about how you can run faster. Let's go over a quick summary before wrapping this part up. Power is the amount of energy per second that is required to propel your body in a certain direction at a certain speed. GPS is not reliable over short distances. Air resistance is also included in your performance. Air resistance depends on, among other things, temperature, wind speed, air pressure, and your height above sea level. Your critical power can be used as a surrogate near your tipping point or anaerobic threshold. When using Stride's auto-calculated critical power, every training session you do is included, so your critical power automatically remains accurate. With the power duration curve, you have insight into what you can do at specific durations and distances. How can you run faster? Weight and speed, what you need to know. If you want to make progress and sharpen your PR at your favorite distance, introducing variation in your training is important. Are you a runner who often runs at the same distance at the same pace? Introducing variation in your training will make a big difference. More on that later, though. In The Secret of Running, Hans and Ron write extensively about the relationship between weight and speed. They've devoted an entire chapter to it. How much faster will you go when you lose weight? How big is the effect of your mass? The mathematics of mass influence can be explained simply, according to Hans and Ron. Your body is basically at a fixed power, p, in watts. If you run on a flat course, You use that ability to overcome running resistance and air resistance. If you lose a few pounds, your power remains constant because your strength is unchanged, but your running resistance decreases. As a result, you might be able to go faster. There is, however, a limit. Things go wrong at the point where you no longer lose excess fat, but muscle mass. We want to prevent runners from going overboard in their drive to lose weight. Please note that this is a simplified explanation. It doesn't take into account certain physiological complexities, but generally applies to situations where excess weight is being lost. For this reason, your critical power, just like your tipping point, only becomes interesting when you start to look at your capacity per kilogram of body mass. So, for example, a critical power of 250 watts doesn't say anything about your possible run times. If your mass is around 60 kilograms or a weight of 132 pounds, your power per kilogram of body mass is 4.1. But at a mass of 80 kilograms, a weight of about 178 pounds, your power per kilogram of body mass is 3.1. For example, a 10 kilometer run with a critical power of 4.1 watts per kilogram takes around 41 minutes. The same run with a power of 3.1 watts per kilogram of body weight takes around 54 minutes. So your power per kilogram of body weight is what matters, not your absolute power. Train in your zones. Earlier on, we talked all about the five different zones. We'll discuss this in more detail in this chapter. Some watches work with a bunch of different training zones, but really it depends on what you use consistently. Other watches might use things like zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, and zone five, and so on. Stride also has five zones that they call easy, moderate, threshold, interval, and repetition. The zones are similar, but not completely interchangeable. For example, stride works with two zones above critical power while heart rate watches only have one zone after the tipping point. How do you best use the zones in your training? Again, variation is the magic word if you want to make progress. The main reason why you want to know your different zones is because of the two fuels you carry with you, fats and sugars. We've already described the different fuels in detail earlier. As you know, as an endurance athlete, you mainly use fats and glycogen. You'll use your fat stores when you run slowly and glycogen becomes your main fuel when you run faster. Variation in training between your fuels makes you faster and provides a good basis to work from. Variation is needed to use your fats efficiently as fuel and to maximize your glycogen stores. You need a good mix between gentle training and intensive stimuli combined with good recovery. After all, you don't get better during training, but during the recovery afterwards. You can teach your body to run faster on your fats, partly by running slow and longer. Note that this might be called zone one, zone zero, or the easy zone in the stride ecosystem. This zone is variable in running intensity. If you make progress, you can run faster on your fats and thus your pace will increase. You see this when you train with heart rate. You run faster at the same heart rate. This is fully reflected when you run by power. Your capabilities in the lowest zone can go up. Gentle workouts are good for the basics. If you train more intensively, you'll enter an important zone where your body can choose which fuel to use, fats or glycogen. This zone lasts from your easy zone all the way up to your critical power. Which fuel your body prefers in this zone depends, among other things, on stress and nutrition. Do you have a lot of stress and do you eat a lot of sugar and carbohydrates? Then your body prefers glycogen combustion. In addition to stress and nutrition, your running training is of course also a trigger for fat or glycogen burning. Above critical power, you mainly burn your glycogen, while your fat burning plays a smaller part. With stride, the two zones between easy and critical power are called moderate and threshold. The slower you run, the more your body can rely on fat stores. There's a lot to be gained there with targeted training in various zones. You get to know your body and you learn which zones you've been barely trained at at the moment, especially in the beginning. Runners often notice that they have a strong preference for one zone over the other. So you either run very fast or very calm... Are you a runner who sees a training session or would you rather call it a run as a good moment to catch up with a friend then there's a good chance that you have a great base in the low zones but that you have to get used to more intensive training or do you think that training doesn't make sense if you don't sweat a lot and have muscle pain there might be a good chance that you'll improve a lot if you also include slow training sessions training at a slow pace is not a waste of time actually It's meaningful training, which helps build a solid foundation. There's a section in the book that shows which fuel is most useful to you in percentage in terms of max effort. You can see that starting from five minutes, your glycogen and your fatty acids are the main fuels used. In this figure in the book, we make an assumption that you're running as fast as possible. If you run slower, you'll use more fatty acids proportionally. Smart variation in intensity and duration of your workouts ensures that all energy systems are trained. Note that through smart training and healthy nutrition, you can train your body to run more efficiently on your fatty acids. In the chapter previous, what is critical power and what can you do with it, we discussed the concept of the power duration curve. This curve is a great way to check whether you train with enough variation and whether you're engaging all energy systems during your training sessions. In the curve in your stride app, you can see your maximum power from 10 seconds to roughly three hours, depending on how long you've run, over the last 90 days. To get a nice personal graph, it's good to at least sprint once for 10 seconds, preferably also uphill or against the wind, and to run a long endurance run at a good effort. The curve also shows whether you've run this wattage in the past 30 days, whether it was between 31 and 75 days, or between 76 to 90 days. Again, anything older than 90 days is not taken into consideration. How does the curve help to check if you have enough variation in your training? If the power duration curve is a smooth line for the past 90 days, then you know you've trained with plenty of variation. However, if you see that your line is discontinuous and drops at certain times, then there's an opportunity for improvement. In this example, you can compare your true power duration curve with the modeled curve, which is a white line that's overlaid on top of your power duration curve. It's an estimate for the power that you're capable of at any duration, even if you've not produced power data at that duration. Based on this curve, the runner can target specific areas of their curve to improve. For example, they could perform a max effort 3-minute activity and a max effort 10-minute activity, two durations which will help improve the overall accuracy of your auto-calculated critical power the power of intervals. A solid foundation of base training helps you achieve a higher base speed. If your base is good and you've already trained a lot in your different zones, then intervals are a good way to become even faster. Targeted interval training is simpler and more precise with power compared to heart rate interval training. By training with intervals, you can train at a high intensity. This improves your base speed and your body gets used to excess lactic acid. Because of the rest in between intervals, these types of workouts are not as stressful as a race, and you can do this kind of training more often. Depending on the goal, the length of the intervals, and the intermediate rest varies from one training plan to another. The intensity with which you run intervals also varies. Some intervals are almost at full speed, other intervals you go fast, but still somewhat with the brakes on. How do you know which pace? and which distance is most suitable for your intervals. Books have been written about the ideal distances and paces for intervals. It's a delicate job to determine exactly which pace is most suitable for your 200 meters, your 400 meters, your 600 meter repeats, etc. If you've already calculated at what pace you have to run a 200 meter distance, it will still take you several weeks or months before you know exactly what the best pace is for you. As described earlier, your GPS is also not very useful during your targeted short intervals. However, with stride, it becomes really easy to do them because stride immediately measures what you're doing. You can check after 10 meters on a 200 meter sprint whether you're on track or not. Because we repeat, power is the amount of energy per second that your body needs to push your mass in the given direction. This applies to the marathon, a half marathon, but also for a 400 meter or 200 meter interval. And now it gets interesting for runners who want to run faster and are willing to train hard in a targeted manner. There's a table in the book that you can see at which percentage of your critical power you should target for specific intervals. So, for example, if your critical power is 257 watts, then your ideal power for an interval of 400 meters might be 308 watts. In this example, it's 257 watts for your critical power times 120%. The fact that you see the percentages increase considerably at short interval distances is because you, in, you use your anaerobic energy systems to supply extra energy there. Your anaerobic fuel is limited. You'll benefit from a 100 meter or 200 meter interval, but the benefit might be lost at about 1,000 meters. Let's talk about an experience. In 2019, Cohn, one of the authors, trained for the Amsterdam marathon. Since he really wanted to run the marathon, in under three hours, he left nothing to chance. So he started to pay attention to his technique. He lost some weight. He started training with intervals with more specificity. After some calculations and consultation, he determined that his ideal pace for 400 meters was a certain number. After that, it took a few weeks before he could actually narrow down to that number, which happened to be 87 seconds for his 400 meter repeat. He was used to running by heart rate and had never done interval training at any kind before. It took some getting used to. When he started running with Stride, one of the first things he tested was interval training. According to Stride, he was able to run 308 watts during his 400 meter repeats. After a warm up, he walked to the starting line at the local track and he started at a brisk effort. Still in the first bend, he couldn't resist checking his watch to see what power he was running. 308 watts? For the entire 400 meters his power fluctuated between 305 and 311 watts he was flabbergasted when he saw that he'd run exactly 87 seconds then he started training using 200 meter repeats at 323 watts and a thousand meter repeats at 274 watts because he hadn't done those distances before because he was training with heart rate it was a revelation the quality of his training improved immensely, and it was all very simple, much easier than figuring out what pace or heart rate to run. Do you know if you're already close to your maximum potential, or if there's a lot of progress to be made at your favorite distance? In the next chapter and episode, we'll look at how Stride can help you estimate your potential personal best at the 5k, 10k, half marathon, and full marathon. But now, we're going to talk about knowing your capabilities. As a runner, it's interesting to know what your potential PR is for a certain distance. Even if a personal best isn't your main reason for running, it's still nice to make progress and know what time you can run for a certain distance. Based on your PR for one distance, 5 kilometers for example, you can find calculation models on the internet where your potential times are calculated for other distances. There are reliable calculation models to determine your potential for the 10k, half marathon, and marathon based on your PR for the 5k. However, this is only true if you ran the 5k under ideal conditions. About 8 degrees Celsius or 46 degrees Fahrenheit, hardly any wind, no elevation, at your lowest healthy weight. Then the comparison is only valid when these variables remain the same. In practice, this is almost never the case. Temperature and wind, for example, are highly variable, which makes it difficult to compare one event with another. Good news for runners with a stride power meter. Determining your potential time at different distances is more accurate and easier than ever. Even temperature, elevation, and wind are included. First, we go back to your critical power. With an accurate critical power, you can determine which times you can run at different distances. Below, we take First, a look at the schedule from Ron and Hans as we saw earlier in the chapter. In the overview, you can see your possible times at 3k, 5k, 10k, 15k, half marathon, and full marathon in terms of watts per kilogram. The times naturally take into account a decline at longer distances. You may be relatively better at 5 kilometers or on longer distances such as a half or full marathon. Some people notice that the times in this example in the book aren't quite right for them, but the predicted finish times based on your watts per kilogram can be a good target time, and for most runners, the formula works well. Although these times are a nice guideline, Ron and Hans can't include everything in this overview. For example, the temperature, eight degrees Celsius, or about 46 to 49 degrees Fahrenheit, is an ideal temperature for top runners in the marathon. But what, you sh- what should you do if it's not 8 degrees Celsius or 46 degrees Fahrenheit during your event, but 21 degrees Celsius or 70 degrees Fahrenheit, for example? We all know someone who, even after good preparation, didn't reach their desired finish time due to the heat. Their training went well, the nutrition was tested, the recovery was fine, there were plenty of drinking stations along the way, but the weather threw a wrench into the works because if you train at different temperatures than your event, you might have some issues during the race. You run the planned pace for the first half or your half or full marathon and it feels fine. But as soon as you've crossed halfway, it turns out that you started too fast because the higher temperature makes it harder than expected. Strides found a solution for that. Once. I sat at the kitchen table with three running friends and showed them how Stride's race calculator adjusts your race power to temperature, altitude, and humidity. They were flabbergasted. A week later, everyone had bought a Stride. Below, you'll see an example. I let my Stride know that I wanted to run a half marathon. Based on my critical power, Stride calculates my race power and my expected finish time. So. I can run a half marathon at 265 watts, and my expected finish time will be 1 hour, 22 minutes, and 23 seconds. Not bad. Stride says that it can turn out 2 minutes faster or 2 minutes slower based on the conditions. If you already run by power and you hear 265 watts and 1 hour and 22 minutes for a half marathon time, it's because in this example the author is using 59 kilograms or 130 pounds as their weight entered in the Stride ecosystem. Because the author indicates during their half marathon it's 21 degrees Celsius or about 70 degrees Fahrenheit and not the optimal conditions of 8 degrees Celsius or 46 degrees Fahrenheit, you might get a different value. They shouldn't run at 265 watts, but actually at 259 watts. Of course, now the expected finish time becomes a bit slower. Instead of 1 hour and 22 minutes and 23 seconds, the predicted time falls a little bit back to 1 hour, 24 minutes and 32 seconds. Additionally, if it's only 21 degrees Celsius or 70 Fahrenheit, instead of the ideal conditions, and there are also some hills, like an elevation of 230 meters, you'll have to adjust your power a little bit more. Now, you won't run 259 watts, but 257 the racecourse altitude also ensures that the expected time drops from 1 hour 24 minutes and 32 seconds down a little bit under a minute to 1 hour 25 minutes and 20 seconds. This knowledge could have prevented many breakdowns from many people at events. If you know in advance based on your training, the distance, the surface, the temperature, the height difference like the altitude and the humidity, then you know what performance you can reasonably expect on race day. And that is, of course, extremely valuable and fun. Here are a few key summaries from this part of the ebook. Variation is the key word in your training sessions. Train in different zones. Exercising slowly makes you faster. Your fat stores are your largest energy source. Learn to use it optimally. Training intervals by power works better than training intervals by heart rate. To predict what's possible for your 5K, 10K, half and full marathon, Stride helps by analyzing the temperature, the altitude, and the difference for specific courses on race day. On your way to your PR. You can translate any training plan from pace or heart rate to power. What's not a good idea, however, is to combine training plans without consultation. Each plan has a balance between intensive training and easy training, periods of long runs and periods of fast runs. Without a long-term view and without knowing the philosophy behind a plan, it's not wise to combine two training plans on your own. In the last part of this book, we give tips per goal distance for how to train in a targeted manner. If you pick the training plan from the internet or if you have training plans from a coach, it's always good to consult with your coach when in doubt. Normally, you can fit the tips in this chapter into your own training schedule. Of course, you can also use Stride's own training plans. There are many different schemes and streams in training theory. To check whether a training plan works well for you, it's good to set a concrete goal and check whether you're making progress. We recommend about once a month tackling a distance like three to five kilometers if your body allows it. Does your critical power increase? Then you're doing well. Or if you find that your workouts feel better on your half or full marathon wattage, that's a good sign too. If you're a relatively novice runner, you've been running for less than, let's say, three years, you'll notice that progression affects all your distances. Are you training for a half marathon? then it may well be that you're also improving your times at the 5k and 10k. But if you've been running for a bit longer, then targeted training for one distance is important. Because your basic speed is probably already so high that specific training is needed. Your paces for a half or full marathon are very different from your paces for a 5k or 10k distance. In your training plan, a good mix of tempo workouts on your race pace, alternated with intervals and gentle workouts, is a good starting point. The Training Plans and Strides app have been developed based on plans from professional, respectable coaches. You'll immediately notice that the plans are not expressed in kilometers or miles, but in time. The reason for this is simple. The duration of your training is decisive for your muscles, tendons, ligaments, and joints. If a training schedule is expressed in kilometers, then a workout of, for example, 10 kilometers is only 45 minutes for a fast runner. But for a novice runner with less aptitude, a workout of 10 kilometers requires more than an hour. To get someone with less experience to run longer than someone with a lot of experience, that would be strange. This problem can easily be solved by not giving runners a distance to train, but a duration. This way, 45 minutes is 45 minutes for everyone. It's good to regularly train at your race pace during your training sessions so you can get a good feel for this pace on your race day. How do you determine your race pace? One of the things that makes Stride so special is the race power we wrote about earlier. In the Stride app, you can enter a distance and even the course you want to run under the tab Upcoming Events. Once you've entered this, you immediately see the level of power at which you can run during the race. This is priceless. Headwind, uphill, temperature changes, with Stride, it doesn't matter. Your plan remains intact because you know exactly what power level you can run at, and that's always correct. An additional advantage is that you can train at a race pace during your training. So whether you train for a PR at 5k, 10k, a half marathon or a full marathon. You know exactly what your competitive ability is and that you can train to these capabilities in your sessions, get used to them, and experience progression. Your race power will automatically increase as your critical power increases. You don't have to do anything special for that. No complicated formulas or calculations. Stride calculates it for you and you can start training. It's very exciting to see so clearly that your training is paying off. In this next chapter, we'll describe the experience of some runners who've improved their personal best by training with power in a targeted manner. Training for your 5K PR. The 5K is a beautiful distance. Anna P., 42 years old, works for a major shoe brand and is the mother of two children. After her second baby, she didn't exercise much for about three years. Little sleep, little time, no energy. One day she decided, I want to get fit again. She got herself a good pair of running shoes and ran two to three times a week. Her motivation was great, and her discipline did the rest. She quickly lost about three kilograms and built up her distance from one kilometer to five kilometers. She'll never forget the day she ran her first 5K race. Her children, her husband, and her mother were at the finish line, and the medal in the shape of a gold five hangs in the hall among the photos of her family. The local newspaper posted the results and times of all runners. She was proud that at 31 minutes and 37 seconds, she left four more participants behind her. Her new goal, to run five kilometers in under half an hour. Then running became a struggle. She used to get better almost weekly and noticed the improvements were easy to achieve. But now she seems stuck on that same level. Her weight remained the same, so did her pace, so did her efforts. A friend recommended training with Stride. Are you crazy? That's for you, because you run marathons. That's nothing for a snail like me, she said. The device just looks at your current level and then gives you tips to get better, her friend said. It doesn't matter whether you train for a 5k within half an hour or whether you want to qualify for the Olympics. Her frustration that she was no longer improving outweighed her hesitation to run with a power meter, so she tried it. Her power meter quickly taught her two things. One, she never ran slower than her favorite pace, and two, she never ran faster than her comfortable speed. Because of Stride, she started combining easy workouts with more intensive intervals. She had to run wattages she didn't think she could, but encouraged by Stride's personal training plan, she gave it a try anyway and it worked. She still ran two or three times a week, but due to the variation in pace, intensity, and efforts, she was now improving rapidly. She ran her second 5k race in 27 minutes and 38 seconds, an improvement of 4 minutes. Want to try for yourself? With Stride, you can go to events in the main menu. There you can enter 5 kilometers. Next, Enter the date of your event and how many training sessions you want to do per week. Stride asks which day you want to have the most time on, and that day will get your longest training session of that week. You can choose a high-volume or low-volume plan, and your workouts are automatically added to your training calendar. Here are two workouts specific for 5K that are a lot of fun to do. Number one, do a monthly critical power boost training. That is, a three-kilometer training session, This way, you'll test whether your critical power is increased. And number two, run a block of at least 12 minutes of volume every week at the 5k wattage you're prescribed. This way, you can get used to the ability and the speed, and you can check whether that's feeling good and in line with your current fitness. Training for your 10k PR. 10 kilometers is the distance most often run in competition. Setting a PR for 10k is a delicate task. It's a complex balance between starting fast enough and conserving your energy. Many runners tend to start a 10k too slowly, but it's safe to say that if you can still accelerate after six kilometers, you've gone out too easy. Running by power offers a solution. With your power meter, you won't start too fast or too slow. Using Stride for the first time, Cohn set a new 10k PR. That's when he realized running by power is fascinating. More people should know about this. He said, my heart rate threshold is 192 beats per minute. Normally, I base my training by heart rate, and in competitions, I ran at the heart rate that matched that distance. I can run 10k at my heart rate threshold, so normally, I would start strong, go to my threshold, and check occasionally to make sure it was below 192 beats per minute. This time, however, I didn't run by heart rate, but by power. My critical power is 270 watts, so I have to run the whole 10k at or slightly above 270 watts. At seven kilometers, Stride began to make a difference for a new PR. Running at my critical power, I started to struggle and check my watch. On my watch, which was paired with Stride, I saw my power, 262 watts, and I thought, I have to stay above 270 watts? It was tough to do, but it worked. At that moment, if I had not run with power, and had only seen my heart rate, I certainly would not have been motivated to go a little faster. My heart rate at that time was 193 beats per minute at a pace of 3 minutes and 58 seconds per kilometer, or about 5.45 per mile. Normally, I would never accelerate. I would have thought, ouch, I'm going too fast. But Stride knew exactly how fast I could really go. That surprised me. The first kilometers also offered Stride an advantage over my heart rate. After two kilometers, I checked my watch, and I was running at 295 watts, 25 watts above my critical power. I knew that was a bit too enthusiastic. In the overview on Strava, however, I could see that my heart rate was still at 178 beats per minute, which was 14 beats below my threshold. So, the advantage of running by power is especially valuable on race days. Heart rate responds a bit slower, and it matters. The day after my PR, I spoke with an enthusiastic running coach. Aren't you over 40 years old? He asked a bit suspiciously. Yes, I'm turning 41 this month. Why? I asked. How can you still run PRs? He sounds a little jealous. But yes, that's the advantage for many runners who start running later in life. I've only been running seriously for five years, and with the accumulated running history and knowledge of my body, I can improve for years to come. Want to try it for yourself? In the Stride app, you can go to the events, again, in the main menu. In Power Center on the Stride website, you can find events under Tools. There, you can enter 10 kilometers into the event planner or race power calculator. Next, enter the date of your event and how many training sessions you want to do per week. Stride will again ask you which day you'd like to do your longest run in the scheduled plan. You can then choose a high volume or low volume plan and your workouts again are automatically added to your training calendar. These two workouts are always a lot of fun to do for 10k training. Number one, a monthly critical power maintenance workout. This workout targets a three to five kilometer all out effort to help calibrate your stride auto calculated critical power. This way you can test if your critical power is improving and it's fun to run hard sometimes. Number two, an interval training workout. This workout starts with a 15 minute warm-up, and then five times four minutes starting below your stride auto calculated critical power and progressing to or slightly above it, about 95 to 102% of your critical power. Your recovery in between each repeat is two minutes at an easy effort, about 50 to 70% of your critical power. After your last repeat, run an easy cooldown. Training for your half marathon PR. A half marathon is a popular distance among avid runners. It's the distance where you can really push your limits and you still feel good for days after your intensive performance. Jane S. has been running since she was 12. From her 12th to her 41st birthday, she ran continuously. If she didn't run for a week, she would get cranky. At that point, her husband would suggest that she might go for a quick run. However, at the age of 41, her world fell apart. She had been diagnosed with breast cancer. She overcame the disease with heavy operations, a lot of chemotherapy, and a good dose of willpower. At the age of 44, she set a goal, a half marathon. In her mind, finishing a half marathon was the definitive statement of health. She started training, but it was hard. She was used to fatigue, but not the kind of fatigue she felt after interval training. And she often had odd aches and pains. The fatigue and ache sparked fear and had her question herself. Am I still sick? Am I sick again? After each checkup, her doctors assured her that she was healthy, and that her condition was superb, given her circumstances. She did not exercise tests and started training with a heart rate monitor. That helped. Her pace went steadily from 5.5 minutes per kilometer to under 5 minutes a kilometer. It wasn't quite the level she had hoped to achieve, but... There was still progression then she injured her knee and had to rest for a month jane had hoped to complete her half marathon after six months of training but she'd been training for more than six months now and she felt she hadn't made much headway then one day her coach asked her to go for a run on the track with her after a month of rest her coach noticed that jane was running at a lower step frequency than before She ran 400 meters with a step frequency, or cadence, of 165 steps per minute. According to her coach, this should be around about 180 steps per minute. It felt awkward for Jane, but the coach suggested testing it with the stride power meter. At which step frequency did she run the most economically? That was the question. It soon became clear that Jane benefited from a higher step frequency, and she started to learn more about her critical power. As it turned out, Jean had lost her natural technique after surgery and a long break. Tension from her neck and back radiated downward, and her left groin and left calf were also under high tension. Unconsciously, her body tried to correct that, and one of its solutions were a lower step frequency. Her new technique, however, combined with her old pace caused a serious issue. After rest and treatment of her back and groin, she could train freely again. She trained in a variety of ways and didn't pick up her pace until her critical powers increased. Fourteen months after her resolve to run a half marathon, she went for it. With a time of one hour, 42 minutes, and 46 seconds, she declared herself fit and healthy. Do you want to try half marathon training for yourself? With Stride, you can go to the Events tab in the main menu of the app. There, you can enter a half marathon. Next, enter the date of your event and the number of training sessions you want to do each week. Stride also asks which day you'd like to perform your longest run in the training plan. You can choose the low volume or high volume, and the workouts are automatically added to your training calendar. Here's a couple examples of different workouts you can run. A monthly critical power maintenance workout. This workout targets a 3 to 5 kilometer all out effort to help calibrate your Stride auto calculated critical power. This way, you can test if your critical power is improving. Another one that's similar to the monthly critical power maintenance workout would be to run an easy warm-up with two sections of quality running. Your first quality section will be 20 minutes at 88 to 95% of your Stride auto-calculated critical power. You should aim to start the 20 minutes between 88 to 90% and progress up to 95% by the end of the duration. After an easy three-minute recovery, you'll have a 10-minute section at the same power target, 88 to 95% of your stride auto-calculated critical power. The aim of this workout is to practice running at a steady sub-maximal effort for an extended duration. After the 10-minute section, run an easy cooldown. Training for your marathon PR. Covering 26.2 miles is the holy grail for many runners. A common question that marathon runners are asked is, what is your best time? And moments after crossing the line of your first marathon, you find yourself signing up for another one with the goal of running even faster. This was where 52-year-old Rick S. found himself. After an injury at the age of 35, Rick retired from soccer and picked up running. He expanded his training and became more and more enthusiastic about what he was capable of. As a soccer player, he didn't like long-distance running, but slowly, he became a fanatic. On Strava, he tracked all of his workouts and joined a running group. He started increasing his mileage and getting faster. His trainer suggested running a marathon the year he turned 50. The age where the decline tends to become noticeable motivated Rick to prove otherwise. I'm still young and in the prime of my life, he said. With a heart rate monitor and a focus plan, he ran the marathon in 4 hours and 8 minutes. Soon, Rick began to crunch the numbers. A marathon on flat terrain in October would give the opportunity to run under 4 hours. Moreover, Rick was able to lose 3 kilograms, so a new project was born. A sub-4 marathon. Ignited by an enthusiastic user of Stride and his running group, Rick also started running by power. He trained and lost some weights, and he set his eyes on a new running goal. Rick decided to go for his second marathon in Amsterdam. The day before the marathon, he headed to the expo to pick up his racing bib. While there, he saw Ron and Robyn at the stride exhibit. Rick talked passionately about his first marathon and the preparation he was taking for a second. His plan was to start at 5 minute and 40 second kilometers, or about 9.07 per mile which would lead him to running just under four hours. He was confident that his training set him up for the race day he had been dreaming of. Robine asked why Rick wasn't planning to race by power. He was already training with power, so why not incorporate it into his race day plan? That's when Robine showed Rick Strides Race Power Calculator. This tool calculated his ideal power target to aim for over the course of his marathon. Rick decided to give it a go and stuck with it throughout the race. After the marathon, Rick had exciting news to share. Not only did he break the four-hour barrier, but Rick ended up running three hours and 48 minutes. That's 12 minutes faster than his goal heading into the race. This is a common success story of runners racing by power. Runners often vision their dream finishing time and train just enough to reach them. But what if the goals that runners set for themselves are just at the cusp their true capabilities running by power helps you reach your peak fitness and then go beyond what you thought you were capable of at the age of 52 rick is setting new personal bests in his half and full marathons and his pr journey has just begun what if you wake up on race morning and the wind is howling you'll need to adapt your race plan but how do you adapt your plan at a moment's notice the answer is stride Stride reports the extra power required to overcome air resistance. You'll know how much power you need to run into a headwind, the power saved when running with a tailwind, and the power saved when drafting off of a pack of runners. Stride gives runners the ability to turn the wind into a measurable and performance-enhancing force. All you have to do is stick to your power target. If you ignore power and solely focus on pace, you'll end up hitting the wall, and from that moment on, you'll lose a minute per kilometer. Here are some other workouts you can do, focusing specifically on the marathon. A monthly critical power maintenance workout, like 20 minutes comfortably hard, plus 30 seconds very hard. This workout targets a 20-minute tempo and a 30-second all-out effort to help calibrate your stride auto-calculated critical power and keep your power training zones up to date. Another one could be 3 miles at 85% of your critical power, 2 miles at 90%, and 1 mile at 95%. This progression workout is designed to build your aerobic capacity to power through to the end of your race. We've worked on the book Running Power, the fastest way to your next personal best with great pleasure and dedication. Normally, a book goes to the printer after completion, and as a writer, you can no longer do anything about it. This book is different. It's readily available online to millions of readers, and at the same time, it's been sent to the printer for a limited edition. In the coming months and years, hundreds of thousands of experiences will be added from runners who train based on power. Of course, new experiences will raise new questions and provide new insights. We'll do everything we can to continue to monitor these developments and continue to test and write about the new developments. Stride will undoubtedly also provide updates that are worth investigating. And when a new power meter comes onto the market, Hans and Ron will be the first to test and compare it this afterward is not a word of thanks or a conclusion. It's the continuation of a great adventure that will last for years to come. An adventure where running through the woods with mud on your calves and your head in the wind meets scientific analysis and smart equipment to analyze your workouts. And if, after listening to this book, you want to know more about power and the secrets of running, you can continue by reading the other books by Hans and Ron. The book, The Secret of Running, is available in print and as an ebook in the Netherlands and is in, for sale in several languages. We look forward to great events, fast times, and a lot of satisfaction. To be continued. Good luck with your training, and we wish you many personal bests to come.